0: Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again this series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again god has called you to a higher purpose welcome to rise up Heavenly Father, thank you lord for this time this opportunity to gather together as men lord i'm blessed lord to see an overflowing table, Lord, as we've we've gathered together this morning, Lord, to hear what you want to say to your men, and Lord, um, you have given us a calling, you've given us direction, you've given us a mission, and Lord, um, I'm I I sense Lord, and I feel that this is a message that many men have have missed or forgotten or ignored. And Lord, I know speaking even for myself, Lord God, I need to hear what you need to say to your people, to your men this morning. And so we ask Lord God, open our ears so that we might hear what your spirit would say to your men and we lift this time up to you in Jesus name, amen, amen. So turn your Bible to First Samuel chapter 17, First Samuel 17. We're going to look at a very familiar text this morning, David and Goliath. Right? We all know the story, the account of David and Goliath, and as men, we love this account. You know, it, it's the it's the the story, the the recapping of this one young man of faith who goes toe to toe with a literal giant, and. And takes him out with a sling and a stone." We, we love that account. We imagine ourselves and as somehow being a David. We're going to read this account and then we're going to talk about it. So, I'm going to pick it up. We're going to actually go through most of this chapter So be patient with me. Oh, gotta stay in front of the microphone. Can't move around. Verse one of chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Socoh, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socoh and Azekah, in FS Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And so, Saul is the king of Israel. And he marshals the army of Israel to stand against the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were what was left of the original Canaanites. When when the Israelites, or Hebrews, originally came into the land of Canaan, it was filled up with Canaanites. And one one of the groups of Canaanites were the Philistines. And, And so, the Philistines are about the last of the Canaanites that are left. When God had led Israel into the Promised Land, he told Joshua to lead the people in to drive out everybody to cleanse the land of all of the canaanites because they had defiled it for hundreds of years doing wicked and abominable practices things that should never be done um, not unlike what we see going on in our own country and culture but all these things that were going on and god said um, drive them out and his plan was to cleanse the land push all of them out Either they left voluntarily or the Israelites were to wipe them out, utterly destroy them, leave nothing alive so that he might cleanse the land of the, the, the wickedness and the filth. God made promises to Israel in regards to that, that, that they were going to face enemies. And matter of fact, if you remember when they first started to go into the land, remember the 10 spies went in. And, and they, they looked at it and said, whew, there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. And then Caleb and Joshua said, oh yeah, we, God wants us to win. We're, we can't lose. God made promises regarding them going into the land, them facing their enemies. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says this, now shall come to pass if, 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 you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. If they would be obedient, God was gonna lift them up. No one was gonna be higher than them. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face, they shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. If they had obeyed God, they would never be defeated. That every enemy they faced, they would defeat if they, if, if, if they would simply obey God. No enemy could stand against them. A little further in that chapter, God described what would happen if they didn't obey. And verses 15 and then 25 through 26 says this, and it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, his statutes, which I command you today that all these curses, shall come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses, that's a nice image, shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and no one shall frighten them away. Remember that last verse because it's going to come up a little bit later in our text. If you disobey, then you'll be defeated. And you'll be defeated every time you go out. You're going to be defeated and defeated and defeated and defeated if you disobey. Even a casual study of the time between when Joshua led the Israelites into the Promised Land to the time that King Saul leads his army against the Philistines shows that they walked in disobedience much more than they walked in obedience. Saul has already been told by God at this point in 1 Samuel that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, excuse me, has been taken away from him because of his own disobedience. God takes obedience pretty seriously, right? Will we acknowledge that? He takes it seriously. And as a people of God, King Saul should have been able to stand before these Philistines with the confidence of the promises of God. You know, when you're walking in obedience and you know the promises of God, you can have the confidence of knowing that whatever God's promises is, if I'm walking in obedience, I'm getting God's promises. Whatever God's promises are, they're mine. Saul couldn't do that. He was walking in disobedience. The fact that there were Philistines in the promised land was a rebuke to the nation of Israel, to their disobedience. Saying, if they had been obedient, there wouldn't be any Philistines. There wouldn't be any Philistines, not only in the land of Israel, but there wouldn't be any Philistines at all. Because they would have already driven them all out. Still back in 1 Samuel verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, nine feet, nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's pretty heavy. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath is a behemoth, a massive man, nine feet, nine inches tall. Now we don't, there aren't any nine feet, nine inch tall guys around today. If you were Goliath, this is a very logical challenge. You know, who What is the likelihood that Israel has even one guy that could stand up to Goliath, to this behemoth of a man? No one was going to beat him in hand-to-hand combat, unless, of course, God has his own champion in the wings. Verse 12, now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem. Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advancing years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep, at Bethlehem. Now David was probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s. He was not the obvious pick to fight a giant, right? So much so that even when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, his father didn't even bring him out as one of the, one of the potential options for this. Verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephath of dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Then Saul, they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines." were they fighting? I don't know there was much fighting going on at this particular point. They were thinking about fighting. Verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, then left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. they they're fired up. It's going to happen today. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle, array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there, came, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. So David gets there just in time to see Goliath come out and taunt Israel and blaspheme God. Verse 25, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills his Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. So, so Saul had offered this enormous reward for someone who would go out and fight Goliath. And David he hears, This uncircumcised Philistine blasphemed God, and it gets his blood boiling. Verse 31, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. This is is a gnarly kid. Verse 36, your servant was, has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, David had this real and living relationship with God. He knew God. God had showed up in his life. He knew God and God had been faithful to him. And so David had this, David believed. He was a man of faith. Even as young as he was, he knew who God was and he believed that there was nothing that God couldn't do. So he knew that, hey, if God can deliver me from the lion and the bear, there's no problem him delivering me from this Philistine giant. Verse 40, Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Just as a quick aside, I've been to Israel in the Valley of Elah and they encourage you there to pick up stones while you're there. So, I I grabbed five stones, right? That's a good thing to do. I found out later that they have them trucked in so that, you know, so they never run out there. Okay. Verse 41, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the of the field. And remember that from back from when the we read the curse in Deuteronomy 28, that's what God said would happen if they disobeyed that their bodies would be left for the birds and the beasts. Verse 45 then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. David had a plan, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to so the birds of the air and the beasts of the wild, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand into his bag, took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone "...sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it." So God does this radical thing through this kid... And, and, and it's an amazing thing. He, he, this young man of faith, and this, this account is an awesome display of God's faithfulness to those who are faithful. When, when we walk in faith, when we walk in obedience to God, God loves that. And he, he loves to show off with those who will be faithful to him. It's a fascinating account of God winning a victory, using something that everyone around him was despising. Everybody looked at David and said, you can't do this. You can't do that, David. You're not not able to do this. But David believed. David believed God. And so God took a shepherd boy to, to destroy this Philistine giant. And as amazing as this account is, it leaves me asking a question. Why did it take this young shepherd boy to win this battle? Well, you might think, well, it was because the Philistine army was stronger than the army of Israel. Mm, I don't think so. Let's continue reading verse 51, second half. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose, shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley, to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of Philistines fell along the road, Asha raim even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. Without Goliath, without the giant, the Philistine army fled like a bunch of scared girls, squealing all the way back to their cities. So why did it take the faith of a shepherd boy to win this battle? Look back at verse 12, I skipped over verse 12 when I was reading the rest of it. Verse 12 says this, now David was, nope. Not verse 12, sorry. Hold on, give me a second. Oh, verse 11. Now, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. Why were they afraid? Why was Saul dismayed and greatly afraid? The reason is because Saul was not engaged through faith and obedience with God. He wasn't walking in faith and obedience. And so he had no reserves, he had nothing to draw upon when it came time to fight this great battle. He couldn't engage because he had nothing to give him the resources to face this battle. Deuteronomy promised that God would defend them against every enemy and that giants were no big deal. We, we learned that in the, in the, in the, the spies sent into the promised land account that, hey, that, that, yeah, there's giants in the land, so what? They will be our bread, Caleb said. All they had to do was believe. All they had to do was trust God and obey him. Is there any, this is a rhetorical question in case you're wondering, is there any enemy too strong for God? No, none. There is no enemy that you can face. There is no enemy that can come into your life. There's no enemy that can come into the life of the church. There's no enemy that can come anywhere at any time to anyone that God can't deal with. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the obvious answer, right, is no one. If God is for us, then no one can stand against us. Well, how do you know if God is for you? Because you believe and you obey. If you believe and you obey, God is for you. Is there any enemy? God can't defeat through, an, through any of his people, whether they be great or small, whether they be weak or strong. King Saul's own son, Jonathan, didn't think there was anything that couldn't be done by God. A few chapters before this account, the Philistines were in the land and Jonathan decided, hey, let's go check them out. Let's go see what's going on over there. And so he takes his armor bearer. And we read in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6 says this Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. If you remember that account, Jonathan with his armor bearer climbs up this hill, gets up to the top, and, 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 into the very camp of the Philistines and they start laying them out. Before Saul even knows what's going on, they've killed 20 of the Philistines and God ultimately wins this great battle, this great victory over the Philistines just because Jonathan believed it doesn't take an army to beat God's enemies. It takes one man who believes and obeys. Now yeah, that was before. This is now. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, the man Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Think about this for a second. Who were they afraid of? They were afraid of Goliath. Goliath had already been defeated by God. It, the victory just hadn't happened yet. God already planned to defeat Goliath with David. They were afraid of a defeated enemy. Forty days they fled in fear from Goliath and the Philistines. All they needed was one man who had the courage to trust God and obey him. Just one. And he wasn't even a great man. He was a kid, a shepherd The Philistines were the enemies of God's people. And Goliath represented their might and fierceness. David faced Goliath in faith. And then God won the victory. And David took the prize. Verse 54. I know we're bouncing around. I know you can handle it. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Now, I'm weird. I get it. But I, I try to imagine myself, so how did David carry the head of Goliath? Did he grab him by the hair? Probably had long hair. Did, you know, get, grab him like that whole, I don't remember, the, whatever that movie was. With Never mind. But anyways, did he, did he grab him by the hair? Or, or maybe did he, you know, stick it under his arm like, you know, like a football? Or maybe stick his fingers in his nostrils like a bowling ball? And How did he carry it? Imagine his kid has just won this enormous victory. We have an enemy. 1 Peter 5:8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy is a defeated enemy. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He defeated Satan. Now, there's still some battles that need to be fought because the ultimate victory doesn't come until Jesus comes back to establish His earthly kingdom and He kicks Satan to the curb and the pit forever. For most men, Our enemy doesn't show up as an armor-clad warrior giant screaming in our face and challenging us to a fight. For most men, the battle is not out there, it's in here. Our battle is with apathy, indifference, lack of concern, hopelessness, and so many other things that go on inside of us that keep us on the sidelines keep us inactive. Keep us unengaged. Our problem is not that we're afraid of the enemy. We've gotten very comfortable with him. He's there. He's been there for a while and we just have learned to live with him. Like the army of Israel, men are sitting on the sidelines and waiting for a David to show up. I'll just sit here waiting and someday a David will show up and then I'll go, then I'll do. David would eventually be king, we know that. The Bible tells us he was the next king of Israel. And what followed him is a whole group of giant killers. We read of one account after another that got David's mighty men killing giants. Saul had an army of men who said they were ready to fight for king and for God. But in the 40 days of Goliath's taunting, not one of them stepped forward to fight. They were dressed for the battle. They were They made the sounds of battle, they lined up for battle, but there was no battle. They gave the appearance, they looked like they were ready to fight, but when the time came, they either stayed in the sidelines or they fled in terror. Guys, I think we, we have to Look at a text like this, and we have to ask ourselves the question: Where are we? Where Where are God's men? Are you in the fight? And And before you answer the question, yes, because I'm guessing most men would would, yeah, of course I am. We We have to remember something. Most of the men in Saul's army had another life. They had wives and children and homes and jobs. And as men, we have a responsibility to those things. And in some cases, that's where some of our battles are, right? I mean, would we acknowledge that sometimes some of the biggest battles we seem to face are in our homes, And while there are battles to be won there, that's not where the army of God musters. The army of God does not muster in your home. The army of God gathers in meetings like this one. When God's men come together, that's when his army is mustering. It's in places like this where God's army is trained up and is equipped and dispatched for the battles. And Jesus created the church. He gave it a mission. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have a mission. God has given us a mission. And he created the church to facilitate that mission. Now, that is the mission of the universal church. And we can also translate it down on a very personal level as well. But for every church, like this one, God has called us to fulfill that mission in a very specific way, in a a way that's unique to us. So let's ask the question. What is this church doing to fulfill our mission? What is this church doing to fulfill our mission, the mission of CCFV, Calvary Chapel, French Valley? What what are we doing to fulfill that mission? If you don't know, Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you know what that mission is for this church? Shouldn't you know what it is that this church is here to do, specifically in French Valley in 2023? Shouldn't you know that? And, and the next question is, what is your part in the mission of this church? What role has God called you to play? Guys, let's not not overstate this. Your marriage, your family, your home, your job, those are all important, and you have a responsibility to give them your attention, the appropriate amount of attention. But God didn't save you so that you could just be a better husband, better father, better grandfather, better employee or employer. That's not... The only reason he saved you. He doesn't want you to do all those things, but that's not the only reason. He also saved you to get into the fight for the souls of humanity, of the humanity God has placed around you. I mean, as long as we're around, God's called us to play a role in that. As men, especially, he's called us to play a role in that. To do that, we have to gather with the sole purpose with the with the objective of being a part of the army that God has organized so that so that we might go out and complete the mission to fight the battles to do the work of whatever it is that God has called this church to to do right now but first we need a plan and we need men to help us fulfill that plan. Over the last few years, it's been going on for a while, but there's been a steady decline in the engagement of men in the church, not just our church. We've seen it in our church, but not just our church, just churches in general. Giants are out there all around us. And too many of God's men are sitting on the sidelines, watching the giants, just pointing at them, saying, look, there's a giant over there. I can't do anything about that. I can't, I can't fight him. I can't fight that. I can't resist that. That giant is too big. There are men just sitting around. They show up at church. They do the stuff. And, and guys, I want you to understand, this is not a rebuke. This is a challenge to the men of God. The whole series, rise and stand. Not just stand still. Stand and get engaged in the fight. There are men that are sitting on the sidelines that God would use to fight giants. So what do you do? Well, first, you need to examine your priorities. Is being a part of God's plan to reach the world the world around us, no, we don't have to reach the whole world. We don't reach the world that God has allowed us to have influence over. Is, is, is being a part of that plan a priority in your life? Or is it an afterthought? Well, if I don't have anything going on next weekend, maybe I'll get involved in something. Or is it a priority? That God's plan is important. And if not, what can you do to adjust that? What can you do to make it a priority in case you're wondering it's just a choice you just choose to do it second adjust your life so that you can be a part of the men's ministry the men's ministry exists to prepare men to engage in the battle that's what they exist for they exist to get men involved to get them engaged to get them doing things and, and, and it doesn't mean we're out, we're out, you know, standing in front of abortion clinics or things like that. God may call us to do that, but it's not necessarily that. There may be other things that God would call us to do, very practical things sometimes. You know, I was talking with Jason today about, you know, some of the projects we want to do around here. Hey, just doing things like that, getting men together just to do something together changes us. I mean, right? I mean, have you guys experienced that? Just getting together with other men to do something, anything Especially if we do it, you know, uh, with the idea of this is somehow serving God. It, it does something inside of us. It changes us spiritually. We need that. That's part of the work that God does to prepare us for the battle. The problem with the men of Israel, the army of Israel, is they had all the appearance of being ready for the battle, but they weren't really ready for the battle. They didn't spiritually have the tools they needed so that when that giant stood up that they all looked at him and said, dude, that's one guy. There are thousands of us. If they had all swept over that guy, Goliath wouldn't have stood a chance. You know, I, 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 you know from this perspective, if that guy stood up and said, yeah, I challenge you, send one man out. Shut up. I'm going send out a whole stinking army and wipe you out right now. You don't have to do, what, you don't have to do it the, the enemy's way. Do it God's way. Get a, become a part of the men's ministry, the men's breakfast, the Bible study. Whenever the men gather to do something, try to be there, even just to be there. You know, we're going to work on such and such project. I don't know anything about that. So show up, just show up. Just being there helps, right? Would you, would you agree? Just being there every now and then you might actually find something. Hey, I could help with that. I can, you know, I can hold this. That's, what I'm, that's my number one job holding things. Third, find a place in the church for you and your family to serve. It doesn't matter what. Find something to do in the church. You know, there's lots of things, right? Do you know that? There's lots of things you can do to serve in the church. And you, and you know what? If, if you come and we don't have something, you know what'll happen? God will provide something for you to do. He's good at that. You know, the more people that are doing more things, the more things get done. Huh? Doesn't that make sense? And the more things that get done, the more God is glorified. The more people are blessed. The more faith is grown. You know, when we gather as a church, one of our primary objectives when we gather as a church, number one is to worship God. That's our number one objective. But the second is to communicate the message of God. And everything, everything that we do in the church plays a part in that. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, after we're done here, we're gonna clean this up, right? We're gonna reset this room back to what it looks like on Sunday mornings. That is part of communicating the message because we're preparing the room so that people can come and hear the message. Everything we do, whether it's cleaning or or ushering or greeting or children's minute, whatever it might be, it's a part of communicating the message. There is something for you and your family to do in the church. Now, for the most part, I'm speaking to the choir. I'm preaching at the choir right now, but share it with somebody else. And if if you need help figuring that out, just ask. Anything you do helps. Fourth, encourage other men to get involved you get involved and then encourage other men to get involved listen this occurred to me after i wrote the message you know if you invite a man to do something to come to a breakfast to come to a study you don't know what god's plan is for that man he might be a david he might be someone that god is going to use to slay giants not you, David. You might slay some giants too, but, but the point is we don't know. We don't know what God's plan is for them. And so you inviting this person to get engaged might be the trigger they need so they hear clearly what God is saying to them. And they, then when the battle comes, they step up. They reach into their bag, they grab a stone, they load it in the sling, and they smack the enemy right in the forehead. All of this depends on one thing. Do you believe that the church exists to be used by God to accomplish his mission in the world? Do you believe that God is trying to do something through the church? If you don't believe that, okay, then none of this really matters. You go do what you want to do and, and, and you'll be fine. But if it, if it is, if that's what God wants to do, if, that's what, if God wants to do something through the church and you're a part of the church, you're one of the men of the church, shouldn't you be a part of what God's trying to do in the church, right? Does that, does that make any sense at all to you? That if God's trying to do something in the church, then maybe I should play a role in the church. Maybe I should do something. We have a choice, we have a choice. We can be like the men of Israel, hanging out on the edge of the battle, watching, watching things go on around us, or we can be David, dragging round the head of a giant. Personally, I know which one I wanna be. Rise up, men of God, and fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message, Lord. And I pray for these men, Lord that that we would hear this message and, and and not feel condemned because that's not my purpose, that's not my desire, but that we might feel conviction if conviction is needed, I pray Lord God that we'd allow that conviction to minister to our hearts, to speak to our hearts what what what, what should I be doing? I know I've allowed life to carry me I, I've, I've allowed the flow of circumstances and situations and and all the uh, things going on around me, I've allowed those things to carry me to where I am today. But where should I be, God? And if I need to make adjustments, if we need to make adjustments, Lord, that you'd speak clearly to our hearts what it is that we need to do so that we might be where we need to be. What I believe the reason why the, the men of the army of Israel would not fight is because they weren't prepared in advance to fight. They didn't do the work. They didn't do the spiritual work they needed so that when the battle came, they were ready to go. David did. David had a relationship with you. David had a, a walk of faith and obedience with you. And he knew, Lord God, that when it was time to fight, he was, he was equipped to do it. Even as Saul tried to offer his armor, David said, I, I, can't, I can't use this. This is, not how, this is not how I have learned to walk with God. So each of us, Lord, if we're, if we're not ready to fight right this moment, we need to be around men who are helping us and are trying to be prepared to fight themselves. Lord, it's my belief, and I, I know, I know that, that belief is shared with Kevin and others here, that it's in groups like this where, where men, men's lives can really change. You know, they can change by showing up and listening to sermons and, and even serving and doing things. But it's when, when, when men get together with the purpose of, of having an encounter with you together, that things start to change. And so I pray that you would, you would give us a conviction of preparing our hearts and minds for the battles that will come. Because... The reality is, is that we're living in a time where the giants are getting bigger and more plentiful. And so, Lord, we need to be better prepared than we are. And so I pray for your men that we would rise up, that we would rise up and stand, that we would rise and fight. And to do that, we need to be ready. And so I pray, Lord, help, help us to get ready and help us to be ready for whatever you, bring, whatever you allow to come into our lives. And we ask, Lord God, for your anointing over these men. I ask, Lord, for your blessing over them. And I pray, Lord, that you would just instill within their hearts a desire to be a part of your, the mission that you've laid out for them individually and for the church collectively. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. And we lift these things up to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, it's been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.